And this is Mike Fader. Uh, we are uh, broadcasting here on PRN.FM, and this is called Occupied Territory America. The show is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and is available, you know, uh, in archives and podcasts later on uh, tonight, the next day, usually between there sometimes. Uh, two things before we start, as usual. If you have any response to anything that you hear on this show on an ongoing basis or today. There's two ways to uh, express yourself. One is to get directly in touch with me, and I always advise everybody, go to my website so you can check out everything else I'm doing on the radio, books I've written, other radio shows that are archived there, um, essays I've written, and you can get on my mailing list, which is always a good thing, and um, you can, as I say, contact me directly by going to faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R, F-I-L-E-S dot com. And also, uh, you can participate in the political blog that I write on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, it's just a Google Occupied Territory and Facebook. You'll go right there. And I usually post something every day. And I welcome any kind of response. Uh, agreement is not necessary. Uh, two things. Uh, well, just one qualification for today's program. I'm going to talk about Syria and I'm going to talk about the United States and Syria, particularly. Um, and uh, But these will be, uh, I'm not going to try to build up to some linear speech-type crescendo here. It's not some logical um, legal argument I'll be making and finally winding up with my remarks to the jury. Sometimes it takes that shape on this show. But uh, today I think I'm going to be asking questions and sort of randomly um, uh, you know, thinking out loud about what the problems are here. Obviously, I have opinions, and occasionally I will uh, lapse into them. But uh, let me start out with two things. I guess uh, also as a framework, uh, generally speaking, I think there's uh, two generic ways to look at this whole issue, the United States and what's going on in Syria, but especially the United States involvement in Syria. That's what this whole show is going to be about today. What's going on in Syria we could talk about from a purely uh, strategic, political, religious, and military point of view, but um, that's not exactly what I'm going to do. I'm more interested in what our response here as a country and the way our government works in terms of that response or doesn't work, more specifically. So I think what we're looking at here is we can examine this in a moral and also in a political military framework, and that's generally how I'm going to be approaching it. First of all, uh, two things I wanted to read you. Um, here's a quote from somebody who is probably the most famous constitutional lawyer in the United States who is currently living. Um, the president, this is a quote, the president does not have power under the Constitution to unilaterally authorize a military attack in a situation that does not involve stopping an actual or imminent threat to the nation. And that is Barack Obama saying that. Yes, it is. Barack Obama, when he was running for office in 2007, he said that because that's what most people wanted to hear. And uh, he thought that would get him elected, which is, as far as I can tell, the reason he says about 95% of everything that comes out of his mouth is to make sure he's pleasing someone or getting somebody's vote. What his moral position is... I don't know if anybody can understand that. But anyhow, he made it very clear here 
that under the Constitution of the United States, which is uh, the basis for all of our laws and, uh, you know, our ideals of democracy, uh, it is uh, he has no power, the president, to unilaterally authorize a military attack in a situation that does not involve stopping an actual or imminent threat to the United States. Um, okay, that's one thing. And the second thing is, this is from an op-ed piece in the New York Times. Uh, I asked this guy if he'd like to come on and uh, be a guest on the show, but he's in the middle of writing a book, and he has a deadline and couldn't make it. Uh, it's an article about uh, whether or not there are moral grounds which supersede uh, laws, international laws and national laws of sovereignty, moral grounds for one country or one small group of countries to interfere in the sovereign affairs of another country militarily. And he says, this guy, uh, after making a long case, that there's um, an evolving kind of international law. I mean, after all, think about it. Uh, once upon a time, there was no law. You know, uh, you met up with the guys from another cave, and there were more of them and bigger than you. That was the end of you. Or they just grabbed all the women, and uh, if you were alive afterwards, you were lucky, Right. Tribal warfare, invasions, uh, slavery, uh, mass rape, retaliation, burning everything down. You know, that's the way it went. People didn't even uh, question it. You know, if, if you lost, that was it for you. Uh, you had no rights. And most people all over the world were subject to kings and to warlords. And you basically had no rights whatsoever. Little by little by little, uh, you know, uh, to paraphrase slightly uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, the moral arc of, of, uh, of history bends toward, what did he say, the light? But things have gotten better. But you've got you to gotta, you gotta take a chart that goes back thousands of years. I mean, once upon a time, and not even that long ago, there was slavery in the United States. Women couldn't vote. There was slavery all over the world. Anybody who was bigger than somebody else just went and did whatever they wanted to anybody else. Stole what they had, uh, killed people, and just conquered territory and looted everything. That was the way of the world. Uh, even in the American West, you know, people uh, you know, went around armed. And uh, it was very difficult to bring law to the world, law to this country, law to any place. Now we have at least the idea of... Uh, something called the United Nations, where there was a group, a body of nations, where all the nations in the world joined, and they discussed these issues and had the power to authorize force, peacekeepers, to go into a place. That was science fiction. That was fantasy. It was a big joke that somebody might have dreamed up 100 years ago or 120 years ago. Maybe Wilson had the idea in his head, right? But these kinds of things, nobody even imagined this. This is very late in history that we have this kind of stuff. But uh, this author, who is a professor of political science at Northwestern University, um, he is arguing that there's a, a new kind of evolving international law, which says that uh, morally speaking, small groups of countries or even one country with the ability to do it uh, should be able, should be allowed to go into... Now, he's not talking about whether it's legal or not, because he's probably a lawyer, so, you know. But uh, he's talking about morally or ethically, it should become legal that this could happen, he writes here. He says, of course, of course, ethics, not only laws, should guide policy decisions. Since the Rwandan genocide and the Balkan mass killings of the 1990s, a movement has emerged in support of adding humanitarian intervention 
That's the phrase it's used. He says, humanitarian intervention as a third category of lawful war under the concept of responsibility to protect. It is, a widely accept, it is widely accepted by the United Nations and most governments. It is not, however, in the charter of the United Nations and lacks the force of law. This was evident in Kosovo in 1999 when NATO bombed Yugoslavia without United Nations authorization. Then, as now, Russia and China were unwilling to grant Security Council approval. Uh, one thing is obvious. They've got to get rid of the Security Council. Now, the reason that the Security Council existed in the first place was based on the old law, which is whoever the biggest, biggest, meanest, toughest people were with the largest populations and the biggest military and the most weight and uh, who could inspire the most fear in other countries, they got to run everything. So it's, it, this is not uh, checks and balances. This is not the United States government, at least in theory, as it used to be, uh, you know, where there's equal uh, you know, branches. Basically, you have the Security Council uh, where uh, several nations who have the largest militaries and the largest economies in the world just tell everybody else what to do. And one veto in the Security Council, even though 150 other countries, even though 99% of the United Nations could want to rescue somebody in a sovereign country, it just takes one veto from Russia or China, uh, especially Russia very often, to stop it dead in its tracks so that the United States can't, the United Nations can't be authorized to go into a place. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing, but nevertheless, obviously something's out of balance there. Anyhow, to continue here. Um, let's see. Uh, this was evident in Kosovo, etc. Uh, we're unwilling, Russia and China were unwilling to grant Security Council approval. America and its allies went ahead with what the Independent International Commission on Kosovo later called an illegal but legitimate use of force. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't, what is the origin of the word legitimate? I'm sure it has something to do with legality, you know, L-E-G. So that's a very strange, um, a very strange phrase, illegal but legitimate use of force. What they mean probably is morally legitimate, not de, de jure, you know, legally, uh, you know, valid. In that case, NATO accepted implicitly that its act was illegal. It defended it on moral and political uh, grounds rather than legal terms. Norms and institutions of international criminal law, including 11 years of experience with the International Criminal Court, have strengthened since then. Special tribunals for Cambodia, Rwanda, and the former Yugoslavia reflect a growing consensus that the perpetrators of atrocities should be punished. I guess it's coming a little late to punish the United States for killing a million people in Cambodia and Iraq and using um, weapons of mass destruction, which are outlawed by the United Nations to do it. And I guess it's coming a little late uh, for, um, you know, various other places that the United States has, uh, you know, sent uh, missiles and bombs and other kinds of weapons into in violation of all sorts of international laws. But better late than never. So that's that's the uh, that's the toss up here. I mean, from a good liberal point of my, my basic attitude here is the United States should not go in to Syria. They shouldn't press a button, fire one bullet or one missile into Syria. It will be a tremendous disaster. And the motives for doing that, the basis of the intelligence that's supplied as an excuse to do it, the motives for doing it, the complexity of it, it's all in the bad column. Right. This could be World War Three to do this. We're talking about, you know, the response could set off a chain reaction and finally nuclear weapons, which Israel have, 
has could be used. And also, uh, uh, apparently, Mr. Assad, uh, who uh, he and his top generals, if they catch him and arrest him, should be indicted for mass murder and hung on TV so the whole world could see it. Or all of them stripped naked and placed in a cage someplace and, this, and with a sign that says, this is what happens to dictators, and just let them die slowly without food. You think I got an opinion about that? I guess I do. So uh, the, at least everybody understands what Assad is. He is a, an insane mass murderer. And there are many of them in the world. There are many of them in the world. A lot of people think that um, George Bush and Barack Obama are insane mass murderers. And who is to say they're not? It all depends what side of the missile you're on, right? Meanwhile, uh, it's, a, it's a moral issue. And uh, what, what we have here is... Uh, basically a, a liberal or left point of view, uh, maybe a progressive point of view. This is the progressive radio network here. I generally am opposed to this. I am opposed to one thing being launched from one. No missiles from any ships. No, uh, I hate this phrase, boots on the ground. I like to say boots up uh, Kerry's ass, a couple of boots up Obama's ass, and a couple of boots on top of their heads too. But boots on the ground. Soldiers. No more euphemisms. I don't want to hear terminate, boots on the ground. You're sending men and women in to kill people and to be killed. Why don't we be clear about it? All this pussyfooting around, you know, boots on the ground. <laughs> you know, Tilla the Hun, Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, I want you to send troops in and shoot everybody or cut off everybody's head. You know, give me boots on the ground, you know. Don't misuse the English language like that. Maybe they're just going to send in a lot of boots. Right? Maybe they have remote controlled boots that they're going to send in. This is a new, this is a new kind of warfare. They are uh, explosive written, they're, they're remote controlled boots. The United States is going to drop by parachute hundreds of thousands of pairs of boots into Syria, and uh, there will be boots on the ground. You know, I'm glad if there's no soldiers involved. But uh, the basic attitude on the left, progressives, uh, I think people of conscience generally, people who would like this country to function democratically for once, live up to what the Constitution and Declaration of Independence says, um, oppose this. And there's very good reasons to oppose it on tactical, strategical, military, moral, and every other ground. Okay, so there's good reasons to oppose it. I am opposed to it generally. However, I don't know if you feel the same way I do, um, there is something about the fact that a dictator overseas, and there are many, most of them in the Middle East, by the way, they run towards monarchies and dictatorships and primitive societies back there where, uh, where it's back 200, 300, 500, 1,000 years. It could be 2,000 years ago there. You know, somebody's in charge, and uh, they have their retainers and their army. Now they have tanks, and they have missiles and weapons and poison gas, you know, and they, uh, they run everything. You know, so you say one word, you're dead. Uh, they want, uh, you know, want your wife, they take her. They kidnap people. They, um, you know, they, um, you know, they steal everything. They tax people till they're, till they're practically starving to death. This is what goes on in these countries. These are primitive places, right? So not to excuse the United States, which is a very modern place that uh, also is apparently very fond of mass murder. However, I don't think that the United States should launch missiles or in any other way interfere militarily. Uh, in this war. Should they supply weapons to the other side? I don't even know about that. Uh, and as I said, this is going to be kind of jumbly because there's so many complexities here. I'm just going to mention them out loud and you could put it together at the end, right? Like Legos. But uh, 
there is one caveat, one qualification, which is why I read that about the international law developing is a, uh, let me see if I can find that phrase again. Um, let's see, a responsibility to protect. In, 19, in the 1970s in New York City, could have been the early 80s, but I think it was the 1970s, uh, there was a law passed in New York City uh, based on a very famous crime, cr- crime incident that occurred. There was a woman who was knifed to death uh, basically beaten up and knifed to death over a period of something like 15 or 20 minutes, right? She was being slapped around and kicked and then knifed and slashed, and finally she died. And it was right within earshot of uh, several apartment buildings where people heard her screaming and yelling for help, and nobody called the cops. I mean, and nobody went outside, nobody picked up a baseball bat, nobody did anything. And apparently some people even witnessed it, and nobody did anything about it. They didn't even notify the authorities. After that, the woman's name was Kitty Genovese. And after that, a law was passed in New York City. I don't know. uh, It's a New York state law, I guess. I don't know. Or a New York City ordinance that said that you have a responsibility, that you actually could be, I'm not sure if it's true, if you could be arrested or you could be fined for not taking some kind of responsible action if you witness a crime. If you witness a crime, especially, I think, a violent crime where somebody's life is being threatened or in danger and you don't try to notify the authorities or get on the phone or they're not telling you you have to physically interfere. That's the job of the cops. Right. But in New York City, if you're a witness to something and you just stand there and watch it and you don't place a call or yell or do anything about it, you can be subject to a fine or maybe even arrest. And this is what he's talking about, this professor on an international scale. Here, you're listening to me now. How many of you have had this thought? How many of you who are opposed, and I'm guessing probably 90% of the people who listen to me are opposed to the United States uh, getting involved militarily over here for all sorts of reasons. How many of you listening to me right now, and I'd be interested to hear if you want to go to the Facebook Occupied Territory Facebook page and post an answer or get in touch with me at Fader Files. How many of you have thought to yourself, yeah, I really feel this way. I believe that the United States should not do this, especially the president shouldn't be pressing buttons and murdering people all by himself, which he does every week, by the way. Every Tuesday he meets to see who's going to blow up with a drone. Um, how, many of you, how many of you have thought to yourself, yes, but somebody should do something about this? In the last two years, 100,000 people, and probably only about uh, a very small percentage of those people being on the government side, you could guess it's something like 90,000 people, uh, many of them, uh, you know, part of the opposition to the Assad government, but a lot of them innocent civilians. 100,000 people have been killed over there, most of them uh, in the opposition or innocent people. It started out as probably a legitimate civil war against a murderous dictator. He just took over. He took over the business from his father, who was even crazier and more murderous than he was, if you could believe that. But... Um, so this is what's happened over there, right? 100,000 people for the last two years, the President of the United States, the Congress of the United States, the rest of the world has done absolutely nothing militarily to interfere with that. So what, was the, what is the magic number here? 50,000, 25,000, 100,000? If, if the President of the United States and his advisors, this, this lunatic, Kerry, McCain always, you know, McCain always wants to bomb everybody and go in and put boots on the ground and shoot everybody. The reason for that is because during the Vietnam War, 
his father was a famous admiral and he was going to succeed and be a big hero like his father. And uh, he flew his jet over North Vietnam to bomb and strafe some target or maybe kill a few North Vietnamese, you know, uh, for the good of the, of the United States. And he got shot down and then he was held and tortured for years. So he feels like he uh, never really fulfilled his mission as a warrior. He feels like uh, probably that he failed, and he has that in his in his head. He was being tortured while all of the rest of his um, buddy co-pilots were getting medals, getting promoted, making names for themselves. And uh, his, don't forget, his father was a famous admiral, you know. And so a Navy pilot, John McCain, gets shot down. So he's just trying to get back at the whole world. He is trying to get even. I don't think John McCain uh, has a rational thought in his head. He just wants to he wants to bash everybody. He wants to get everybody, probably everybody also who is uh, not white, you know, because those little yellow guys, they got him big, strong American and, you know, shot down his plane and tortured the man. He is never going to get over it. And we have to pay for his psychological deficiencies, for his insanities of trying to get revenge on all these people in the world. Uh, who have no right to be shooting down an American, flying an American plane with a flag on it? Outrageous. This is John McCain's scene, right? What is Obama? Obama grew up without a father, has very little idea what it means to be a man, and I know what I'm talking about because it happened to me too, basically um, spends the rest of his life, and this has happened to me too until I got wise to it way into my 40s and 50s. He spends his whole life trying to please people he thinks are real men, so they will pat him on the head and say, you know, Barry, I'm really proud of you, son. You're a real man now, too. So he wraps himself in the flag and he has surges. <laughs> he has he inserts troops into places and he has surges, right, where he sends in tens of thousands of American soldiers. He hangs around SEAL Team 6 guys, probably stares at their muscles. He wants to be a real man. He surrounds himself with generals and uniforms and tough guys and pitiless men who he thinks are real men. And I think that makes him feel like he's a real man. And uh, what did he do? Last fall, he did mention the fact that this awful stuff is going on in Syria. He said, but we're not going to interfere for various reasons but he drew a red line. I don't know where maybe he only had a red pen on his desk. You know, he drew a line and he said, but I'm drawing a line uh, if chemical weapons are used and uh, then I'm going to do something about it. So chemical weapons did get used by somebody. We don't know who really. We don't really know who. And believe me, the United States of America, the, the majority of people in the United States of America don't believe politicians anymore. Right now, the con so he drew he draws a red line, and the red line gets passed. Now he's got to do something about it, or he's a weakling. God forbid. He's got John McCain yelling in his ear, and John McCain has lots of influence. I guess I don't know why he shouldn't influence a sick poodle, but he's got influence in the world. I mean, it's a mystery to me. He got tortured. Tough. You got tortured. I was tortured in my life. <laughs> I spend the rest of my life getting back at the world? I don't think so. So he got tortured, and he was embarrassed. He felt like a failure, and he felt miserable because he was in a cage. So he's going to spend the rest of his life getting even with the world and dragging us into all his crazy wars? He needs to go off to a rehab center someplace or go fishing for the next five years until he checks out. Right? Meanwhile, here's Obama, uh, who draws a red line. That's what men do. George Bush Sr. drew a line in the sand which is very interesting to me, by the way. You know what happens if you draw a line in the sand? 
the slightest breeze that comes along or, you know, if somebody walks near the line, it disappears. <laughs> what does a line in the sand mean? I tell you, it's perfect that a politician would draw a line in the sand because uh, it gets obscured and it shifts all the time. So it's not really a line. It's just whatever he says it is. And the line is wherever he says it is. It's a typical a line in the sand. John Wayne, at least, you know, if you watch these movies, he would, he would take a stick and he'd draw a line in the dirt, hard dirt, so that at least you knew where the line was, you know. I mean, let's go back to the old values. Draw a line in the sand, so typical political uh, behavior, right? So Obama draws a line because other men have drawn lines. He probably saw a lot of John Wayne movies, right? He wants to be like uh, Daddy Bush, who was a hero, actually, in a uh, combat hero in World War II. Flew in a uh, Navy plane, I think it was. Um, so he draws a line, a red line. Apparently, the red line has been passed. If he doesn't do something about it now, even if it's all by himself, if he doesn't press a bunch of buttons and make a few calls and have destroyers launch missiles, then he's not a real man either. You see what happens here in history? Now, I don't want to make it too simplistic, right? But you, everybody, you have an absolute right to question the psychology of the people who are in charge of our military and who are running things. Uh, what is their motive for all this? What drives them? McCain is so rich, he doesn't even know how many houses he has. Obama has probably $20 million from sales of books, God knows what else. When he, uh, when he leaves the presidency, he will get a million dollars a speech for the next 10 years. He'll, be, he'll wind up with $100 million. He's already rich. He's got the money in trust somewhere. It's not money. They don't need money, right? What is pushing these people? Well, you know, they have uh, political influences that, uh, you know, uh, various countries, allies, oil threats from people to withhold oil. The price of oil will go up. Uh, you know, then American interests, whatever they are, only they know what they are. We're not allowed to know because we're just a bunch of sap voters. But American interests all over the world will suffer if he doesn't do this. And uh, people in his own party, uh, moral outrage, political political polls, uh, the votes in the next elections, the uh, as the British call them, the by-elections, the midterm elections, millions of influences on him. But do not discount the psychological uh, motivations and influences that make these people what they are and drive them to do things. Uh, they are, to me, they are more important than anything else. It put them in where it put them in the place they are right now. This uh, crazy, grandiose drive to have great power over everybody, even the power of life and death that people like McCain and especially the president have. Uh, you got to question people who really want to do that. Who wants to do that? Now, somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to be the president. But here's the irony. The very people, think of Gandhi, the very people who should be in charge because they have a sense of, uh, because they know how to reflect on things, because they understand the complexities of life, because they're not uh, knee-jerk murderers, because they're not dictators, because they don't have dictatorial personalities. The very people who have the kind of disposition the intellect and the sensitivity to to the human race who should be president don't have the uh, necess the necessary uh, psychological toughness and willpower and um, manipulative skills and predatory instincts to actually be president. A long way of saying is good people, really decent people, humane people uh, probably don't want a job that has so much power, especially the power of life and death. And that's a sad thing. 
It's too bad. I mean, you, you, the, what you want in a president is somebody who actually doesn't want to be president. <laughs> you want somebody, may, I don't know, Lincoln, Lincoln wanted power. He, you know, he was a humble man in a lot of ways, but of course he wanted power too. He really did want to be president. But you have to have a sense of doubt about yourself, doubt about the power you have and the power you're wielding, uh, regret even, a sense of, uh, of what you're doing to other people. So the very people who should be in charge of things are usually uh, people who know better than to be in charge. You know, they don't want to ruin their lives and anybody else, right? But the people who easily assume power and grab for power are the very people you do not want to have in power. Unfortunately, that's who winds up being in power all the time. So what do we have here? We've got uh, the situation in Syria. The president was apparently going to do what he had, what he had did in Libya. And uh, what presidents have been doing for, I don't know, since World War II, basically declaring war almost entirely by themselves. Occasionally, they'll go to the United Nations, uh, somebody in the Security Council, usually Russia or China will vote them down. Um, or they will, uh, you know, ask their NATO allies to help, like in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever. Or, you know, and what happened in Vietnam is... Uh, we had no cooperation whatsoever from anybody. Yeah, yeah, the French uh, went along a little bit because there in Vietnam, that was their former colony. The French had a former, former imperial colony there where uh, they made the laws and uh, they owned and ran everything and made most of that country miserable and stole most of its resources. So it was a French, old-fashioned French colonial imperialistic outpost. And uh, the Americans just took right over for them. So... Uh, and now what we have also is we have Congress here. Congress just recently here. Let me read you this. The, the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee yesterday passed a resolution. Uh, president, the president of the United States, uh, along with his uh, henchmen, drew up a resolution and gave it to Congress. Now, he was going to go press the buttons himself uh, a few days ago or last week or maybe 10 days ago. But there was so much outrage in this country, which even he could hear in the White House. Right. And then. His uh, main ally, America's main ally, which went along uh, like a little tame little puppy dog in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the Cameron over in England said, yeah, you know, uh, sure, absolutely. And then his parliament, the democratically elected parliament over in England said, no, we're not letting you do that. We've had enough. A, because the United States lies like mad about everything. They are psychopathic liars and dragged us into a war in Iraq based on a lie, right? We don't trust a thing they do. We're sick and tired of their attitude going all over the world, stepping on everybody, boots on the ground, boots on the head, boots on the throat. We don't want to be involved in this anymore. We have no part of this. Nothing going on in Syria is threatening this country. Americans are liars. We can't afford it anymore. We don't want any dead soldiers you know, going all over the place. We've got our own problems. They actually voted down Cameron, which was a shock to everybody and a big shock to Obama and his administration. Because he figured, oh, well, the British will come along like they always have. No, not this time. All he's got right now is the French <laughs> for some bizarre reason. And in France, uh, the president has tremendous, the president of France, or premier of France, whatever it is, he has tremendous powers, way beyond what, uh, they don't have a constitution there which forbids the president of France from acting uh, militarily if he wants to. He doesn't have to go and get Congress to declare war. He doesn't have to worry about that. I don't think there's even a war powers resolution 
which was kind of a watering down of the congressional of the constitutional requirement that the president go to Congress. I don't have, I didn't bring my copy of the Constitution today, but it's Section 2, Article 8. The Congress declares war. The Congress sets the rules for the military, and on and on and on. The Congress raises the money. The Congress pays for the military. The Congress can do this. The president is merely the commander-in-chief of forces that the Congress says he can use in any given situation. Since World War II, Congress has been ignored. The president, whoever the president's been, Democrat, Republican, has ignored Congress almost exclusively. Then they lie and they make up things. In the Gulf of Tonkin, we were told that in Vietnam in 1964, uh, we, we already had, we were told that two North Vietnamese uh, gunboats uh, approached, you know, uh, in a vicious <laughs> surprise attack, approached our fleet. In the, in the Gulf of Tonkin, this is a huge area of water right near China and Vietnam. And we had our fleet there where it didn't belong, probably in, not even in international waters. It's just lurking, hovering right on the edge, threatening right on the edge of North, of North Vietnam, which is basically almost an act of war. So we're in the wrong. We've got this whole fleet there. We're threatening them. We're, we've already... We already landed, uh, by lying, by the way, secretly and surreptitiously, the United States already had CIA officers in there. They had special ops uh, troops in there. They had thousands and thousands of soldiers there before there was even a declaration. Well, there was no declaration war. Before Johnson declared war on Vietnam and got Congress to go along with him. So there we are where we shouldn't be. We've already taken over for the French, you know, uh, who were hated imperialist overlords, uh, so we take over for the French already, starting in 1956 when they got their asses kicked out of there by the North Vietnamese, justly, right, because they didn't belong there in the first place. And then we take right over for them. We funnel money. Uh, the CIA, uh, you know, sets up uh, dictators in South Vietnam. Uh, we funnel money and arms into the place. Uh, we send in special ops troops. We send in the CIA, all secretly, all black budget, all lies to the American people. The Congress totally ignored, or if they're told about it, they're told this is what we're doing and shut up and don't ask us how much money we just spent. This is not the way the country was supposed to be. It's not the way it was founded to be. This is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Abe Lincoln got that one really right. And that's, he was just summing up what the entire American Revolution was about and what the, and what the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence said of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, clearly, we have a government down in Washington. We might as well refer to it as Mordor, right? It's a, it's a gigantic gated community of rich people and political whores and people who are out of their minds with power. And they have nothing to do with the rest of the United States. It's like a separate country that runs this country. They don't care at all what we think. Now, a lot of us, and I'm sure you have, and I did the other day, signed several petitions, moveon.org, trying to gather something like 7 million signatures against uh, launching any attack over there. Um, I'm going to have a guest on um, one of my other radio shows, our representative, Congressman Alan Grayson, who's from Florida, who is adamantly opposed to any kind of intervention here. And he's got a petition floating around. If you want to sign a petition stopping you know, or preventing or saying that you want absolutely no government action by the United States in Syria here, or certainly no attacks uh, you know, on the Syrian government, then go find, uh, just put Alan Grayson in there, 
Go find his website, and you'll find a petition there to sign. Or put moveon.org in there, and there's a petition. They also supplied the names of my senators, which are um, Kirsten Gillibrand. This is Gillibrand, or whatever you say her name, in New York. And, um, you know, Charles Schumer, uh, the hand puppet of Wall Street. Those are my two senators, and also my congressman is named Gerald Nadler. And they provided uh, phone numbers. MoveOn will give you the phone number. Uh, or I'll help you find the phone number of the offices in Washington, down in Mordor there, of um, of your senators and your congress uh, congressperson, right? So I called the number yesterday. I called both numbers. Usually I don't do this, by the way, but I call these numbers because this is so outrageous to me. And I'll tell you the truth. Uh, do you feel the same way I do about this? I'm scared. I'm actually scared. Because one of the problems with launching missiles into this place is, and most people don't know about this because the media will never tell you because, you know, they're being backed up by oil companies and they're threatened by the U.S. government, large telecom organizations, which also own a lot of the media. They won't tell you what could happen over there. They won't tell you what could happen over there. But we have every reason. Let me tell you something. We should be very, very, very scared if even one missile is launched from one American ship into Syria. Very, very worried for lots of reasons, which I will try to get into. So... Uh, you know, I'm wandering all over the map here, but I said I would do that in the first place. I'm, I'm bringing these things up. So, the, you know, so the president wanted to go and just launch his missiles because he's used to blowing people up and killing people, you know, usually um, uh, people who he considers terrorists. But it's uh, often just as often it could be, you know, five teenagers out gathering wood, which look like from a satellite rifles. So they blow them up. Could be a funeral or a wedding party. It looks like a gathering of terrorists to any white guy, some white Christian guy sitting in a chair at an Air Force base or a CIA facility outside a suburb of Nevada. He's sitting in a little console in a room, and someone feeds information to him that a car is carrying terrorists or a bunch of people on a hill or people driving in a convoy or apparently a bunch of terrorists, so they blow them up from 10,000 miles away. They kill them all. Then later on, maybe they find out it was a wedding party or a funeral party or a gathering of uh, elders trying to figure out a peaceful way to solve this, uh, the problem in Afghanistan. We have murdered several hundred men, women, and children who were totally innocent over there. The president of the United States has murdered them. He is a murderer. Every Tuesday, he meets with the head of the CIA and other national security people, and they figure out who to blow up in another sovereign country. What is that? How does he get away with that? Everybody in the world is scared of the United States. Everybody in the world is scared of the United States, and they should be, because we have an executive here which is out of control. No more checks and balances. So every president since World War II has ignored Congress, and they lie. Theoretically, you know, Johnson gets up and he's outraged. You know, it's, this is your understanding. Johnson comes from the World War II Pearl Harbor era, and the people he was talking to in Congress... Uh, the Dulleses and the State Department and the CIA and the people in Congress, all of them were World War II era people. When the Japanese launched in a surprise attack, who knows it was a surprise, but you know, most people seem to think it was. It could have just been incompetence. But they launched an attack on Pearl Harbor, and that was the day of infamy, you know, and the United States declared war. That was all pretty clear. Uh, how and why the attack occurred is the subject of many, many books, but still, it was... Clearly an aggressive attack, uh, and it killed something like two, almost 2,000 American um, uh, sailors and, uh, and Army and Air Force uh, personnel 
it was an extraordinarily awful attack. And so we declared war. Johnson stands up, World War II era guy, you know, uh, talking to people in Congress, some of whom were, you know, combat veterans themselves in the Senate. And he says, uh, we have been attacked, just like at Pearl Harbor, he didn't say that, but we have been attacked by the dastardly North Koreans. When the Japanese Empire attacked the United States, they had a bigger, stronger Navy and Air Force and a much more organized, experienced, well-equipped army than we did, by far. It was an empire, vastly uh, powerful, with huge modern weapons and uh, many more planes, more ships, more guns, more troops than we had, right? And they attacked us. Johnson gets up and says, the cowardly, dastardly, vicious North Vietnamese, a country, a tiny little country compared to the United States, with almost no weapons whatsoever compared to us, uh, they launched two gunboats at, uh, at our fleet. Oh, really? Turns out it was a lie. The man lied and got us into the worst war that this country has ever been in. Worse than Iraq, worse than Afghanistan. Because something like 60,000 American soldiers uh, sailors, Marines, Air Force uh, personnel were killed in that war. And hundreds and several hundred thousand more came back uh, disabled permanently in their minds and their bodies. And it changed an entire generation of people. Uh, the country spent trillions of dollars over there. And in the course of doing that, we dropped um, uh, chemical weapons. Imagine that the biggest user of chemical weapons and weapons of mass destruction in history, since these, uh, since these pacts were passed against chemical weapons, since the United Nations defined what chemical weapons are, the biggest violator, the biggest abuser of this, the biggest uh, employers of chemical weapons and weapons of mass destruction uh, in history has been the United States of America. No other country has ever dropped, dropped atomic weapons on anybody except the United States of America, all on innocent people, mass murder no other country has ever dropped here let me read this to you um 1960 to 1973 in vietnam the u.s military uh used about 21 million gallons of agent orange to defoliate the jungle in order to deny enemy fighters cover the defoliant manufactured primarily by monsanto and dow chemical chemical gets its name from the 55-gallon drums that is shipped in that are marked with an orange stripe. At least 3,181 villages have been sprayed with the highly toxic herbicide, which is comprised of a 50-50 mixture of, um, let's see, contaminated with dangerous levels of dioxins, etc. Much of the dioxin is something called TCDD, which is linked to liver and other cancers, diabetes, uh, immune deficiency diseases, uh, persistent malaria, miscarriages, premature births, and severe birth defects, which they knew about beforehand. Just recently, I think it was last year, in federal court, finally, after, do I don't know, dozens and dozens of years of making its way through the courts and attempts to sue, uh, a federal judge denied um, a class action suit by thousands of people in Vietnam affected by Agent Orange. He just tossed it out of court. He said there's no standing here, and I'm not even going to consider it. So we dropped um, 21 million gallons of this stuff, deforested um, millions of acres, destroyed farmland, forests, right? Uh, let's see. Agent Orange is responsible for the deaths of approximately 400,000 people 
the effects of it, especially afterwards. Because there is continued presence of high dioxin levels in the food chain of several sprayed areas, the health effects of Agent Orange persist to the present day. According to studies by Arnold Schechter of the University of Texas School of Public Health in Dallas, some Vietnamese have dioxin levels 135 times higher than people living in unsprayed areas. Uh, Vietnam is the largest contamination of dioxin in the world. The Vietnamese believe the herbicide has contributed to the birth defects in 500,000 children, many of them second and third generation. Um, the, uh, the United States government finally accepted, after a years-long lawsuit, uh, the fact that Agent Orange did, in fact, injure uh, in very serious ways, thousands of American uh, servicemen and uh, paid them money. But they had to be sued for years before they admitted that. But they don't give a damn what happens to the gooks. I mean, who cares, right? Just a bunch of little, uh, you know, non-white, non-Christian people. And so that's, so we use that chemical weapon. Nobody has ever used so much of a chemical weapon on another sovereign country and killed so many people. And to this day, the effects of it are being felt. Um, and speaking of chemical weapons, a man named Howard Teicher served on the National Security Council back in the 1980s as director of political military affairs. Pretty serious job. He accompanied Donald Rumsfeld to Baghdad in 1983. Uh, according to his affidavit in 1995 and separate interviews with former Reagan and Bush administration officials, the Central Intelligence Agency secretly directed armaments and high-tech components to Iraq through false fronts and friendly third parties such as Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Kuwait. Let me read those names again. Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia Egypt, and Kuwait. Some of the very countries that are arming the opposition right now uh, in, the, uh, in the fight against Assad, right? And this is what happened. Uh, they quietly encouraged rogue arm dealers and other private military companies to, uh, to do the same. About, every, about two of every seven licenses for the export of dual-use technology items approved between 1985 and 1990 by the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, this is, by the way, these are chemicals we're talking about here. This is a polite way. It's a dual-use technology. It means these are chemicals that could be used for fertilizers or easily converted into poison gas and chemicals to kill people. Uh, they went directly to the Iraqi armed forces. This is when Saddam Hussein was in charge and had already used chemical weapons supplied to him from other people on uh, troops in Iran. He was having a war with Iran. He had used them indiscriminately all over the place and killed civilians and Iranian troops with chemical weapons. And the whole world knew about it, especially the United States knew about it. So Rumsfeld goes over there and talks to Saddam Hussein. And um, the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, licensed uh, these chemicals. They went either directly to the Iraqi armed forces, to Iraqi end users engaged in weapons production, or to Iraqi enterprises suspected of diverting technology to weapons of mass destruction. Uh, confidential Commerce Department files also revealed that the Reagan and Bush administrations approved at least 80 direct exports of chemicals to the Iraq military and also other uh, weapons and implements. They included computers, communications equipment, aircraft navigation, and radar equipment. Um, thanks to the White House secret backing for intelligence sharing, the U.S. intelligence officers were actually sent to Baghdad to help interpret satellite information. As the White House took an increasingly active role in secretly helping Saddam direct his armed forces, they even uh, built an expensive high-tech annex in Baghdad to provide a direct downlink receiver for the satellite intelligence. Um, Iraq used uh, this data 
the satellite intelligence and the training supplied by the CIA and the American Army to target Iranian positions with chemical weapons. Uh, retired uh, Army Colonel uh, Patrick Lang, senior defense intelligence officer for the United States Defense Intelligence Agency at the time, said the use of gas on the battlefield by the Iraqis was not a matter of deep strategic concern to Reagan and his aides because they wanted to make sure that Iraq did not lose the war, um, et cetera, et cetera. The Iraq military turned its chemical weapons later on on the Kurds during the war, killing approximately 5,000 people in the town of Halabja and injuring thousands more. The Reagan administration actually sought to obscure Iraqi leadership culpability by suggesting inaccurately that the Iranians may have carried out the attacks. Does that sound familiar? So understand, and this is something you won't hear almost anyplace else, you know, um, and it's easy to find these things. These are actual documents, testimony, people high up in the, in, uh, in the government. The United States government sent uh, weapons and sent components for satellite guidances. They sent uh, guidance systems. They sent helicopters. They sent guidance system, systems for rockets fired by helicopters. The United States helped Saddam Hussein murder thousands of people with chemical weapons and supplied him with the chemicals to do it. The United States killed a million people in Cambodia and Vietnam by high-level bombing where they didn't see a person they were dropping the bomb on. Uh, they kill hundreds of thousands of people by using Agent Orange indiscriminately when after a while they very well knew what it was doing to people and they couldn't care less. This country is the last country in the world to attack another country for using chemical weapons or to judge anybody or to denounce anybody. This country should be getting down on its knees and crawling in the dirt and the mud to the countries we bombed and the people that are dead, the remaining families of the people that we killed during these wars and helped uh, other people and dictators to kill all over the earth, we should be getting down on our president and Kerry and Hagel and these people should be down on their knees, crawling through the mud and the dirt and the sand to beg the forgiveness of the people that we murdered with these weapons. And we're going to launch missiles over there? I'm going to tell you something else. I have a copy here, and you can find it too. Go online and put in, in uh, your search engine, put in Joint Resolution Syria-Obama, and you will get a copy, which I have right here in my hands, of the actual resolution that Obama sent and was uh, agreed to and passed 10 to 7 in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee the other day and is going now to the full Senate. to be. Uh, so they're going to consider, they're going to have a debate and a discussion in the full Congress, rather, in the full Congress and House of Representatives and the Senate to approve this uh, resolution. And the resolution basically says that uh, we have the right, because Assad, you know, uh, is such a, uh, a monster and such a bastard, that we have the right personally, unilaterally. This is anything here about NATO. You know, it sort of casually mentions NATO or the rest of the world. It says right here that the United States itself, in this proposal, has the right, it says here, to the joint resolution to authorize the limited and tailored use of the United States armed forces against Syria. Screw everybody else. We're the ones with the big stick. We're going to go hit somebody over the head with it, you know? Uh, each one of these missiles that they want to launch into there, and they sent five destroyers there. Let me tell you something else. They sent uh, a huge part of a fleet over there. They sent five destroyers and another amphibious landing um, ship that has hundreds of Marines on it into that area several days, even a couple of weeks, before anybody said that anybody used chemical weapons over there. In early 
to mid-August and even a few days before August 21st when people determined that chemical weapons were used by somebody, these ships were already on their way to the coast of Syria. Why do you think that would be? And this opposition fighting Assad. Look at the New York Times today, the front page. They have a picture of the brave opposition standing over seven captured Syrian government soldiers and executing them by shooting them in the back of the head. There's a picture right in the paper there. We don't know who is going to overcome Assad here if we weaken or degrade whatever other bullshit words they're using in their resolution here to do this. And this this is an eight-page um, um, you know, uh, printed out. I mean, it depends what font you're using, but it's several pages long, and it shows that it tells what the limitations are. But basically, it's a resolution allowing the president to go ahead for 60 days if he wants and uh, do anything he wants at all over there. He has to report back once in a while. All of this is done in secret hearings behind closed doors. I've had enough of this secrecy. Lies have been told in secret. Intelligence gathered in secret, obviously. Meetings in secret at Congress. You know what the American uh, you know, approval rate for Congress is? It's something like 9%. This Congress, who 91% of the American people think um, are uh, incompetent, dangerous, and corrupt. This group of people, incompetent, dangerous, and corrupt, overwhelmingly seen this way, including the president by the people of the United States, they're going to send our military into war when a poll of the United States sees very clearly that most people don't want it. If they launch missiles off these ships, let let me ask you, let me tell you something else. It it just, it alarms the hell out of me. Guess which country has the largest, um, uh, a gigantic naval base on uh, the coast of Syria, no more than, I don't know, 50 or 100 miles away from where the U.S. is sending all these ships with these missiles and Marines on them, this amphibious landing ship. Which country has, since 1971, a huge naval base, which is home to uh, nuclear submarines and uh, uh, attack cruisers with their own missiles? Russia. We are going to send cruise missiles maybe right over the heads of the largest concentration of the Russian Navy in the entire Mediterranean, right? Nuclear submarines. And the Syrians have been supplied by Russia. This has been going on since the 70s. The reason this happened was because it was one of these Cold War battles. And Syria was fighting with Israel, so the United States took Israel's part, and Russia took Syria's part, right? And has supplied billions and billions of dollars of arms and weapons to Syria, including extremely advanced and numerous anti-aircraft and anti-missile defense missiles of their own in Syria. Iran has missiles that are capable of carrying regular warheads deep into Israel. Syria has missiles that can go deep into Israel. Hezbollah has something like 100,000 rockets that can go straight into Israel. Israel has nuclear weapons. So we're going to shoot cruise missiles into Syria to degrade uh, the effect of uh, Assad's ability to use chemical weapons. And you know what? We don't really know. I think everybody seems to understand because Doctors Without Borders says that they saw chemical weapons, and I believe them. Chemical weapons were used by somebody. Syria is one of five countries in the whole world. 98% of the countries in the world have signed an anti-chemical weapons ban, whether or not it's being honored. Think of Israel and the United States. We can only wonder, or China or Russia. However, Assad 
is one of the few countries in the entire world that did not sign this, uh, this uh, convention. So somebody has used chemical weapons. It may have been Assad, and maybe some low-level commander who got out of control, and maybe Assad didn't order this. Um, it could be some of the very people who are fighting Assad. We've got al-Qaeda there. We've got 12 different groups of thugs, lunatics, and religious fanatics. We've got, um, you know, uh, we've got just plain gangsters fighting on the other side. Started out as a civil war, but has attracted every lunatic, thug, and fundamentalist nutcase in the world there. And they're being supplied by Saudi Arabia, a twisted, evil country if there ever was one. And who is supplying the intelligence that says that Assad did this. The Saudis, the Israelis, satellite pictures. Do we, we believe a word of this? I'll tell you what. If the president of the United States, forget about Congress. Forget about, you know, forget about secret meetings and briefings. The president wants to start this war, wants to start maybe World War III over there. He doesn't even know. You know what? They don't even know where the chemical weapons are now. And yet they're going to shoot what? They're going to shoot missiles in there anyhow. They don't even know who's got these weapons and where they are. They've been moved. They could wind up killing 10,000 people with these things, blowing up something. I want the president of the United States, if he wants to have his own personal war to feel more like a man or feel like he's got a big dick, then he should get on national TV. Screw the Congress. Get on national TV and show me exactly how he knows who did what and show me exactly what his plans are and what he thinks he's going to do. Because if they shoot those missiles in over there, then we are in danger in this country more than we've ever been. Because that will provoke a hornet's nest and forget about New York, Washington, and other major cities in this country. Because they will come after us. There's every reason in the world not to do this and to pressure other countries like Russia and China, bastards that they are, to negotiate a peace there. So it's wrong. All right, I'm done with this. I'll, t I'll see you next week. We don't smoke marijuana.
song's called Political Science, or Let's Drop the Big One. Makes me nostalgic for the fatherland. No one likes us, I don't know why. We may not be perfect, but heaven knows we try. But all around, even our old friends put us down. Let's drop the big one. See what happens We give them money But are they grateful? No, they're spiteful And they're hateful They don't respect us So let's surprise them We'll drop the big one And pulverize them Asia's crowded And Europe's too old Africa's far too hot and Canada's too cold And South America stole our name Let's drop the big one There'll be no one left to blame us We'll save Australia Don't want to hurt no kangaroo We'll build an all-American amusement park there They got surfing too Boom goes London And boom Perry More room for you And more room for me In every city The whole world round Will just be another American town Oh how peaceful it will be We set everybody free You wear a Japanese kimono, baby, to be Italian shoes for me. They all hate us anyhow. So let's drop the big one now. Let's drop the big one now. <laughs> 